What up, though? Welcome to the Fat Boy MMA Podcast, where we talk about everything combat sports, but mainly MMA. If you want to hear a couple regular MMA fans talk about MMA history, notable fighters, up-and-coming fighters, and everything in between, then this is the podcast for you. Now, I should warn you, we're not professionals, but we are big fans of combat sports. Now, if that sits good with you, grab a beverage, sit back, relax, and let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fat Boy MMA Podcast. I am your host, DC. And of course, I got my co-host here with me, Locke. Hey, what's up, y'all? So today we're actually going to be covering something that I don't think we really covered before. We kind of talked about the person from the main event when they were on last time. But we really haven't covered Dana White's Contender Series. And... um. For this one, the biggest reason why we're covering it um, is because, of course, from the, the I think it was two, two Dana White contender series ago when Bo Nickel kind of had his um, his fight on there. And he didn't get the contract, but Dana White offered to bring him back. Uh, but this time I figured we would talk about, you know, let's talk about the card in general and kind of go over that. So. Just kind of overall, what did you think about um, this episode, which I believe is the last episode for this season of Dana White's Contender Series? What are your thoughts there? So this is actually my first time watching a Dana White Contender Series episode. I've only ever just watched clips off of, you know, ah. off Twitter or whatever. I've never watched one before. And I will say... It's got the trademark UFC shoddy production quality, you know, how they how they get to help. But, <laughs> but I do think this seems to me to be a much better format for finding and grooming talent than the Ultimate Fighter. Now, I know they're still doing the Ultimate Fighter now, still, anyways, but I definitely think this is a better way to do it. It's a better way to ease the fighters into, you know, the UFC professional athlete life. But I also think it's, uh, you know, it's a better watch. We've evolved as a fan base and we want, we need Dana White contender series as opposed to ultimate fighter for sure. Yeah. I think it was you maybe a couple episodes ago and you mentioned how, you know, just don't feel that the need is there anymore where, we need to lock all these fighters in a house and, you know, create a bunch of drama and give them alcohol and everything like that. Let them train with the team they're already training with. Let them cut weight the way that they're used to cutting. Let them be around, you know, what they're used to being around and then bring them in for these fights. And I think that's exactly what the contender series is doing. And, you know, I love it. And, um, the people are able to showcase kind of what they can do right away. And what's great about it is, you may be able to get a contract from one fight, right? Whereas we know how it works in the house, the whole tournament format, and how many times where somebody was really good, but especially in the early days, you know, when they used to actually kick people off, some people may not remember that, right? Um, You get hurt or something like that, you may have to go home, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and, And it may be your second fight, and all of a sudden you get hurt, you look great in your first fight. You get hurt your second fight, but you win it. You got to go home. Whereas something like that happens on a contender series, 
you got enough time to go ahead and, 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 you know, heal, fix whatever is going on and still get a contract to be able to fight a few months later in the actual UFC. Which happens all the time. You win fights. Some of the best fights you come out, even if it's not injured, if you get a cut, if you, there's a lot of things that could stop you from fighting in like right. another week or whatever kind of turnaround, you know, is going on. Yeah, and, I totally agree. And I think that becomes a recipe for not the best style of fighting because now, you know, that we, we got a better understanding of MMA. When you make these guys do this tournament format, you're going to, you're more likely to get uh, a takedown install um, type of a fight because you have guys trying to stay healthy to make it through this tournament versus a Dana White contender fight where it's one fight and this could be your shot. You're going to let it all fly. I'm not saying these guys don't let it all fly on the ultimate fighter. I'm just saying elite level fighter. I mean, I think Roy Nelson kind of did it when he was on the show. He took, he, he did, he didn't put himself out there. He just tried to play it safe and ease his way through that tournament. Listen, I love Roy Nelson and Dana White hated it so bad, but I think Roy Nelson was really that much better than everybody else on the show. I don't even think he was fighting at 50%, right? Now, the problem is... He for sure you, was way better than all those guys. Yeah. The problem is when you get to that upper echelon of fighters and you're actually in the UFC and everything like that, some of that mentality that he had, and of course, never really getting the shape or anything like that, I think is what hurt him. And yeah, you can look at him and say, well, he really doesn't gas. He does good. Yeah, but we don't know what a in shape prime, you know, him would be, it would be a whole different big country. Right. So we don't, we, we never get had a chance to see that. And maybe at that point in time, especially for the heavyweights that were in the UFC at that time, he may have been a true, true, you know, title contender. Right. So, uh, but Dana White was so mad at him and Dana White just hated him period all because of that. But uh, yeah, I mean, he was just better than everybody, and he he beat the game. Dana hated it. He just yes. went out there and laid on these guys, yep, round after round, and, and you just watched <laughs> Dana get bright red face and start steaming. <laughs> he could have took off his glove, laid on, and just old school like slapped him with the glove back and forth, <laughs> like when you challenge somebody to a duel, and just keep doing it until the ref stopped it because they couldn't have did anything with him. Did Roy Nelson fight Kimbo on the show? If he, I want to say he did it. He was the person that put Kimbo in a crucifix. I, I want to so. say he put Kimbo in a crucifix and just like, like literally like was light punching him in the face. Yeah. But it that's was a, That's not a fair strikes. fight to make. No, it's not. But hey, you're on the show. It is what <laughs> yeah, it is. It is what it is. But that is why... Dana White Contender Series is a better format for coming up with young talent. I agree. I totally agree. Roy Nelson versus Kimbo. (laughs) Now for for this fight, the very first fight, um, and I apologize up front. I always want to say this up front. I am terrible with names. Anybody that listens to this podcast will know I'm not going to remember a name and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. It is not a sign of disrespect. 
I just don't know how to pronounce most of these names. So I want to throw that out there because I'm going to butcher a lot of names right there. And I don't want any fighters coming back to beat me up. <laughs> You're like Nate Diaz. Did you hear Nate Diaz response after he accidentally called Lee Jingling Kung Lee? Yeah. He said, yeah, he's like, he goes, uh, I didn't even mean to do that to him. Like, I don't even mean that. Like, yeah, I understood what he was saying. Like, no, I wasn't meaning to be disrespectful. Like, you know, I didn't mean it. But yeah, so the first fight was, um, we saw Mateus Bacal Mendoka fighting Ashik Ajin. Um, and so Bacal was nine. I feel and like that was well that done, fight. by the way. Thank you. I, I try to, I might be getting better. <laughs> but uh, Bacal was going, he was uh, nine and no going into that fight. And Ajin was six and one. So, you know, not too far off. One guy got seven fights, the other one nine. And Bokal ended that with a spectacular first round KO. Um, before I give my opinion, your thoughts on that one? It was, uh, you know, it was a put a stamp on the win. He got the contract also, correct? Yep. Yeah, but he came out. He, he looked like the better fighter. He was aggressive. Uh, landed a nice couple shots. I always love. I'm a fan of the behind the ear punch. You know, yeah, that's a dangerous one. And then uh, finished him off aggressive. It was a good, it was a good fight. Yeah, good, what's you always want the uh, you want the first fight of the night to get everybody's attention, and uh, that's a good right, good way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And what's funny is years ago I learned about the uh, behind the ear punch. Believe it or not, from George Foreman watching George Foreman. And um, I don't remember, he was on like he was talking to somebody and, you know, he used to do, I don't know if he still does, I don't watch as much boxing as I used to, but he used to do some of the greatest commentary and everything like that. And um, I was watching him on something and he was talking about that punch. And I believe he said that was the punch that he um, beat Michael Moore with to, you know, get that title way later in his career. But uh, to your point, it's a good punch. But in that fight in particular, he he got him with that, and that really rattled him. But one of the things that I always love, and this is one of the things that the smaller guys are so good at because they're so quick, as Ajim was falling, he ran up and caught him with a left that just completely flatlined him where he was out by the time he hit the ground. Because that first behind an ear punch – that shook him. He was thrown off, but he wasn't out cold. And then he ran He's in with that down, left. He was going down, but he was still in. Correct. Yep. And that left, you know, in midair, you know, you only see that like at 145 and below. It's not too often you see it above that. Yeah, that's a, uh, you, you got some speed and you got to have some speed in the hand-eye coordination that, uh you know, your, your Frank Mears and your big countries just can't pull off. Exactly. And um, I think he looked really good. And he's going into, of course, a really deep division going into uh, 135 into the UFC. That was a, a flyweight fight. So uh, right now, I think they're officially making the fourth fight between Figueredo and Moreno. But for a guy like him, so now he's 10 and 0, uh, but he's brand new to the UFC. He looks really good. Where do you throw him in at? Do you throw him in with another brand new person in the UFC? Do you think you give him a top 20 guy, top 15 guy? What are your thoughts? No, I think first fight, even with the 10-0 record, 
one thing UFC is very, very good at, well, it's it's their go-to uh, way to sell prospects, is that undefeated record. And they be able to get him a good fight because if you get anywhere into that uh, top 15, you know, you look at, you know, at 12, you got uh, O'Malley, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Ricky Simon at 10, Norman Kometoff at 13. You don't want to start, uh, you know, you don't want to break your new toy. And I think that's a, it's a dangerous division. And I think you should play it safe. Uh, you know, just to get, oh, I was looking at uh Bantamweight no, the you, whole time. No, you you were you were right. I was wrong. Okay, my that bad. was a Bantamweight fight. Yep, you were right. I was wrong. I was gonna say that when you finish. I was gonna say you corrected me, but yeah, it was a Bantamweight fight. The next fight was a flyweight fight. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I think it's a tricky division to start messing around with that. I look, Dominic Cruz looks like he's ranked seven. You know, so I think. Give him a couple fights to let him ease his way into the UFC because you got to figure the next step. It's not just like, bam, you've been in the UFC, you have a fight. There's a big step, big difference between the Dana White Contender Series and the UFC. And I think first we need to get him first into the Apex Center or something, but, you know, get him in front of a crowd because what you don't want to do is get him against one of those top fighters on a card where you got 10,000 people in an arena and then he gets that adrenaline dump. Like, I think it'd be better to kind of ease them into it and get them a taste of a big show on an undercard against a lower level fighter just to help them get some more experience. And ultimately, that makes it an easier fight to sell. And it makes it easier to give them a big jump on the up the rankings after he gets a couple wins in the actual, you know, the big show. Yeah, I can see that. Um, the only thing that I will say is that... Um... And a lot of these um, guys on this card were with big camps, right? Um, and so he's out of shoot the box. And as you know, that's one of those camps that always worry me because they're known for doing the hard sparring. Um, so although he's kind of new to the game, so to speak, he's only been fighting a couple years. And I agree with everything you said. I just don't think, I think if you slow roll him too much, He'll take a lot of damage in training, and you may not get the best <laughs> the best fighter. You know he he's gonna he's gonna fight. It's just whether you want those fights to be in the UFC. <laughs> you want to get paid training. for them or not? <laughs> exactly, exactly. But no, I agree with everything you said. So um, moving on to the next one, uh, we had a flyweight fight, one twenty five, and for this one we had Rafael Macopa. Estevin, probably butchered that one, uh, versus Alicante, Elias. Um, and so um, Macopa was 10 and 0, and Alicante was 17, 3 and 1. Um, Macopa ended up winning that by a second round TKO, ground and pound. So, your thoughts on that one? Uh, it was pre- pretty cut and dry. Uh, decent down ground and pound the uh the craziest part about that fight was the uh the translation of his coaches yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, what are you doing do something else oh my god stop that 
I, I, I don't know that that makes for the best advice and that's helping your fighter very much, but having a very plain, fo- plain voiced man retranslate that to English, very entertaining. Yes. Um, I'll tell you a quick story. I was, I may have told this story on here before, but years ago I was at a local smoker and uh, it was a Muay Thai fight. And this guy was there and his son was fighting and his son was, was, you know, losing handedly, but nothing ridiculous. Right. He, he, you know, you didn't worry about him in there. Right. It wasn't one of those, but he was losing very handedly. And the father obviously had never been in any type of fighting gym or has never fought himself in his life. He's probably never even watched fights outside of this. And his instructions, and it was the funniest thing because he was the loudest person in the gym. He was jumping up and down and he was really animated. And you know, these smokers, it's not like you're in an arena or anything. It's like fucking card chairs, right? Around a ring. Um, and so About 26 of you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So the guy is jumping, jumping up and all he keeps screaming is you got to fight him. What are you doing? You got to fight him. You got to fight this guy. You got to fight him. No, no, not that. You got to fight. And it's like, he's obviously trying to fight the guy. <laughs> like what, what is the meaning of your, and it was like, you know, when somebody says something and then they're throwing the punches. Right. So just imagine he's throwing in his head, which is probably good combinations. He's like, you gotta, you gotta fight him. You gotta fight this guy, and that's all he kept saying loud the whole fight to the point where most people in the crowd was laughing. It became completely comical, and so sometimes the instructions coming from the coaches or the sideline, yeah, it just doesn't make sense. It's it's not it's not anything you can use. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't spent a lot, a lot of time around a shitload of amateur MMA fights. It is definitely where you will hear your worst fighting advice ever. Yes. I mean, yeah, I think that's technical. where the infamous uh, twist his dick video is like some small <laughs> amateur fight. Uh, this is why our podcast would never be PG. <laughs> My bad. Uh, that's, that's I didn't know we were supposed to fun. talk about giving them the no. old dick twist. <laughs> I'm making I'm making rated R every time. Yes, <laughs> explicit content. But uh, the main thing in that fight was, um, I think Alicante. Uh, I'm not sure if it was weight cutting issue or whatever. That was a 125 fight, um, but. Um, he seemed to, you know, in between that first and second round, he he really seemed to gas a lot. I don't know if he just wasn't prepared for the grappling or, you know, what was what there, but he really just, um, he didn't seem to have, like, literally he almost seemed like he was going to quit in between uh, rounds. But um, um, Makopa comes out of Novo Unyao. So, of course, we know that's another huge camp. You know, Henan Barrow, Jose Aldo. Um, uh, what was my girl name that retired um, last year or this year? Um, shoot, I can't think of her name. But, you know, they've had some great, they had have had kind of like um, ATT where they have, you know, champions in multiple 
organizations, Novo Uniao's like that. They've had a, quite a few Bellator champs and, you know, they're one of those camps like Team Alpha Male where it's mostly smaller uh, men and women, you know, usually 155 and under. Um, but yeah, so I thought to your point, though, it was a, you know, good fight, solid ground and pound, nothing too spectacular, but he also, um, uh, Macopa got the contract also. So moving on to the next fight, which was, um, actually, where was, I didn't put down where this fight was contested at. It was Jack Jenkins versus Freddie Linares. And that was a 145 fight. Wow, they looked bigger than 145. I did not know that was a 145 fight. They definitely looked bigger than that. But um, in that fight, we end up seeing uh, Jack Jenkins win by TKO. Uh, Your thoughts on that one? So I really like this fight. Um, I I like both of the guys' package, uh, uh, you know, ahead of time. Jack Jenkins, he trains with uh, Volkanowski. He was also a converted rugby guy. So, I mean, that that was all, you know, is was pretty cool. And uh, Linares came out and he won the first round. Yeah, he did good in that first round. Um you know, it, it looked a little bit uh, shaky. He had a very solid first round. But, um, you know, once Jack took it to the ground, I just think, um, and it, I was surprised that he had that much control on the ground. And it wasn't that, um, it wasn't that um, uh, Freddie wasn't trying. Freddie was trying and mixing it up. And at one point in time, he had caught him in this nasty, it was almost, I don't know how to explain. It was almost like a knee bar or something where he was trying to get out of it. Had the guy, I thought he was going to walk away. It kind of looked like a calf slicer. Um, Yeah. But it's it's one of those things. It looked bad. Yeah. But uh, Jenkins never flinched on the leg. So I don't know. And when he got up walking away, he walked away perfectly fine. I was looking for a limp or something to give me any detail, but nothing. But I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. He, um, I think Linares won the first round. For sure, um, but Jack Jenkins, he he was able to dig down, he come back and uh, he really beat the he finished this you know he won both the rounds he ended up finishing the fight but it, it you know it was deep into the third round but uh, it was it was definitely one of the bloodier fights I've seen and uh, the whole ring looked like a crime scene and uh, yeah. It's an example of one of those fights, though, that was still close. Like I was talking about in the Ultimate Fighter show, if Linares pulls that fight off, which he could have, that whole fight, he's still out of the tournament. Exactly, because that cut, he's not going to get cleared by any commission to fight anytime soon with that He's not going to be able to fight for at least six months. Yeah, that's usually what they give them on some of those cuts like that, because they want it to really heal so it doesn't open up in the next fight. Yeah, he was gushing blood, but I think Jenkins looked impressive. I think it's one of those things that's got to be tough, though, because you're Volkanovski's training buddy as you're coming up the ranks. But now you look impressive in that. You're now officially a, a UFC featherweight. You know, that's that starts to get yeah a little bit yeah. um, more awkward around the gym and everybody starts sizing each other up a little bit more, you know? Yeah, the thing about it is, um, 
although he did look good, Dana White mentioned. <clears throat> so everybody that won last night got a contract, but Dana White mentioned about him in particular. Had this not been the last season, he probably would have had him back. I'm sorry, not the last, the last episode of the season. He probably would have had him back for another fight because he wanted to see a little bit more. Um, but that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, and that makes sense because I could see that you don't want to leave this guy hanging. So it's cool to give him a contract, but he's definitely a guy. I know you asked the question earlier where I think he should fall or, you know, where we should give him. He's definitely a guy that's going to need a few tune up fights because he, uh, he's definitely got a lot of work to do, but you come from a good camp, you know, the whole iron sharpens iron. He, He trains with the best in the world. I was going to say the best in the world at that weight class. Right now, possibly, you could argue the best in the world, period, pound for pound. And, you know, training with that every day is going to get you better. But Yeah, and um, I think the main reason, too, is because Dana White said he wanted to see some more. He heard, I guess this guy was one of those guys that was really hyped about just having a a, a great all-around uh, you know, kind of package, right? They said I pretty much only saw the grappling, but it's the last season and, you know, you look good, so I'll bring you in. But to your point, especially at 145, um, you know, we've talked about it before. It, kind of that 145, 155, 170-ish um, has the the biggest kind of killers. You look at... 145. I mean, there's you look at that top 15. I don't think there's any easy fights in that top 15. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, everybody in that top 15, you know, it, I mean, it, it's a it's a crazy um amount of talent there. So I definitely think he's a guy that you could bring along a little bit slower. And I think it would make more sense because you give a chance for maybe Volkanowski to fall off a little bit or you know Volk has Move talked about possibly move, or yeah or he's, he's talked about moving up in weight to you know 155 right so you have a chance for um for a lot of that to happen where you can grow a guy and then kind of see what he's made out of from there um but yeah overall definitely a good fight um and then the very next fight we have it was a lightweight fight now this is what was interesting about this one so we had Sam the Future Patterson. He came in to fight 9-1-1, one, and one, and he went against Chambino Sencia, and he was 7-1 coming into that fight. Um, Patterson won by rear naked choke in the second round. Uh, this is what was interesting about this fight. As I said, it was a 155. It was a lightweight fight. Patterson is 6-4, and Chambino was 6-1. Why are these guys at 155 pounds? 6'4", 155 pounds. I'll let you answer that. I'm going to tell you the problem that I have with Sam Patterson in particular at this weight class. Well, And I would say Sam Patterson, not only was at 6'4", he didn't look that lanky. So we've seen, I've seen Corey Hill, who we know, 
being so tall and skinny might not have been an attribute when he broke his leg, like like the Anderson Silva break. Um, But he doesn't look like that. He's got some, uh, he's got some meat on, you know, his his bones for a a tall guy at that weight class. It's so crazy. I had to go back and look at it because I thought Patterson was tall. And I was like, oh, he's a tall lightweight. And I started watching the fight and I was like, Oh, he's not that tall. I just didn't realize, you know, usually at six one, that's gigantic at the weight class. So exactly, you don't see a lot of, uh, you know, guys that size, let alone two versus each other. But um, that was another one. It's really hard. This is what I don't like about the Dana White's contender series is I'm I'm a sucker and I'm getting soft in my old age and watching a sensey. Uh, listen to his story about how he's living in his warehouse with a porta potty, and Kel- yeah. Kelvin Gastelum had to buy him stuff that he could actually cook uh, protein on. Because he, didn't and he even was so have- appreciative too. Like yeah. it was, it was a beautiful. So he was so appreciative, and you can tell he really wanted it. Yeah, and then he went out there and got choked out in the second round. And and I'm not saying that to be you know, to be a dick or rain on his parade or whatever. It it just sucks. Like it hurt my feelings. Like I felt like he was part of my team and it's weird. Cause all of a sudden I was less excited for Patterson. Cause I'm like, man, it's poor dude. And uh, that, yeah. that is the downside of the contender series. I feel like. Yeah. The good thing though is especially guys like him, that's from a, a big camp, like Kings MMA, they're still, you know, there's still another road. Um, and still other promotions. Um, it's not the end of the road if you keep progressing and getting better, right? Yeah. So, um, but you don't get that contract. But to touch on Patterson in particular, this is the issue that I have with him at that weight class. So one, what you mentioned is exactly what I was thinking. He don't seem like a very small guy, which means he probably cuts a lot of fucking weight. Right, which, as we know, is not good, especially for taking damage. And he has the thing that taller fighters that are tall in their weight class usually always have, and that is throwing punches with your fucking chin in the air. And it still pisses me off. And so many people do it. It you, there's a if you're the bigger guy, it can be a big asset if you're the tall, taller, longer guy. But you know, have to know how to fight tall and long, right? Like in boxing back in the day, that was one of the things that Emmanuel Stewart was phenomenal at. He would take these tall, lanky heavyweights or or even not heavyweights, right? You go back to Tommy Hearns that was fucking 6'1", 155, right? Or 154 for, you know, boxing weight class. Um, and, and even for that 147, once again, 6'1", and he taught him how to fight tall. That was why Tommy Hearns was known for one of the most vicious jabs. That's why he got the, you know, nickname the Cobra. You know, what he did with the, the Klitschko brothers, what he did with uh um uh shoot, what's his name? Um England heavyweight. Lennox um, Lewis. Lennox Lewis, right? And he really knows how to do this. You look at a guy like John Jones, John Jones fights tall. Adesanya fights tall. This guy does not fight tall. And when you don't know how he to fights fight like tall. Kendall Grove. Exactly. Exactly. And what happens is you're going to get caught. And if you notice, they must have did their homework on him. Because if you notice what kept happening was um, 
uh, since he kept trying to come in with this left hook, he was trying to catch, and he caught him a couple times and rocked him at least once. But you take somebody else that's more seasoned than him, they're going to touch that chin and you're going to go down hard. And once you go down hard like that, it's going to mess with you. It's going to mess with your confidence. There's so many other factors. And in my opinion, it's not needed. He has the frame to easily go to 70 or even 185, right? Why be down at 55 where you're going to constantly be punching down, not tucking, not fighting tall? At least when you're fighting the taller guys, it's easier to tuck because you're punching straight, which means you also have your arm and your shoulder to help block that chin versus punching down and you're completely exposed with your with your chin in the air. Yeah, well, I have a feeling that that's probably how Sam Patterson's going to fight at any weight class. Um, I don't know how old he is, but 170 will probably be in his future because... Like I said, his frame doesn't look like he'll be able to make that cut too many times. And we see that Dana White is slowly having less and less patient for that. Unless you're a superstar, then go ahead. It's whatevs, you know. But right. <laughs> but if you're Sam fucking Patterson and you you biz weight, you're going to welterweight. Yeah. And but, it, go ahead. But we've seen, you know, guys have success with that. Darren Till. Well, I don't know if we call it success, but we've seen some guys, some of these taller guys just go up a weight class and, you know, be a lot more comfortable up there. But, yeah. But, you know, with, with this guy in particular, um, it, it seems like he would be a guy just based on his frame. And as you said, the way that he looked, my guess is he cuts a nice amount of weight. So it's just a, a added thing. I just think it's it's a lot of things against you at 155. And it's not like you're really using your size and length to have a big advantage at 155. And I think one of those small dudes are going to get in and, you know, give you a big overhand left and, and you're going to go down really hard, you know. But, yeah, moving on. <laughs> oh, by the way, I do want to say this though. Still a good win because he did not look good in that in that first round. And he came back out in that second round and really turned it around. So really good win for uh Patterson. I thought he looked um I thought he looked good besides the things that we pointed out. I thought he looked good. Um he's definitely a guy though that no matter what weight class he comes into He's going to need a, a few of those other brand new guys in the UFC to fight. I don't think he's ready for that top 20, top 15. Yeah. It's just really rude to be like, yep, moving on to Bo Nickel. <laughs> nope, back to Sam Patterson, motherfucker. <laughs> well, because I, 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 I gave those critiques, but the guy did win and get a, get, a, get a contract right. So I wanted to make sure I threw that in there because... It was he got a, a UFC complete... contract. I don't think he could. He... I think he could care less about Fat Boy MMA raining on his fucking parade. Like, <laughs> no, yeah, he needs cool. to. Let's say he needs to listen to us because if he did, then he would start doing some oblique kicks and a lot of things where his chin isn't being tested, and now he becomes really, really effective at one fifty-five and dangerous. So I think he needs to listen to us. Matter of fact, anybody that's listening, please get this over to him right away so he can take our critiques because see we're professionals right 
I've had all, I'm zero and zero right now, which means I've never lost, <laughs> right? <laughs> or he could take his talents over to bare knuckle, maybe box Nate Diaz or something like that, you know? Damn it. So listen to us. Damn it. I knew that was coming at some point. <laughs> but uh, moving on to the main event. So the main event was a middleweight fight, and that was between Bo Nickel, who came into the fight all of 2-0, and versus Donovan Beard, Don Don, who came into the fight 7-1, and and recently had just won a title in another smaller promotion. I think it was a Cage Rage title. I got to look hey, it up. CFFC. It just, was it? Okay, it might have been. Um, but um, that, I'll actually go over to you first um, before I give my opinion on that fight. Of course, this is the one that we were looking for. And for all of our listeners, I just want you all to know, we tried to get our official wrestling correspondent who put us up on Bonick. Oh, and by the way, like I was listening back to one of our old episodes. I think it was the last one we talked about, Bo Nickel. And I realized we were misunderstanding each other on something. I was asking you about when Tyler had brought it up that Bo hadn't had his first fight yet. And I think you were thought I was talking about the contender series being his first professional fight. But I thought about it and I was right. So when um, when Tyler told us about it, because we ended up, I ended up watching his icon fight literally because Tyler had told us about it. So I've seen all of his professional fights, but only from Tyler bringing it to our attention about this guy. Gotcha. But Tyler said he didn't want to come on. I don't even remember that. <laughs> Tyler said he didn't want to come on and, and talk to you all. Just know that he puts you all on Bo Nickel, and that's the end of it. Yeah, he's out there trying. He's out there trying to be a good parent, like an like, idiot. Yeah, you know who does that? Come podcast about <laughs> MMA with your with your goofy friends and shit. But anyway, what was your thoughts on that fight? I mean, Bo Nickel looked great. It's a big step up in competition. You know, um, only two pro fights in. Now, obviously, he's a guy that's been competing in combat sports his whole life. But MMA is a different bird. And uh, two and zero versus seven and one. A guy that's won a championship and a promotion. That's you know, <clears throat> pedigree. You throw pedigree out the window. That this guy's got enough experience to do something with that fight. And he, Bo, literally ran through him. You know, and uh, looked looked good. Looked impressive. I will say, as impressive as he looked, I'm st- I'm still a little nervous. You know, uh. But is uh he looked looked impressive. Yeah, I thought he looked really good. I was shocked that he ended it so fast. But what was most impressive to me was he looked very different in every single fight, which tells me that he really has put together a good arsenal. And one thing that he did in this fight, the thing that pretty much you know, was was the catalyst to eventually ending the fight. You don't see that often from wrestlers. And I thought it was spectacular. So, of course, in his feints, he did the normal feints that a wrestler do. You faint with a punch. You faint, touch the knee or something like that, right? To get the guy thinking, hey, is, is he going to go high or low or whatever? But then 
he he did a feint and then jumped in with the left hook at the same time doing what a wrestler would normally do where instead of punching there, they would dive in, grab the single leg and push with the other arm. But he did it with landing a really big hard punch, still having everything in him to use the right hand and grab that leg and force the guy to the ground. Um, as some, one of the commentators mentioned, they were like, that punch was so hard. He didn't even need to grab the leg. The guy was going down, right? But the the way that he put that sequence or combination together, that's some high-level shit, and you really don't see that from just legit MMA guys, guys transitioning over. Um, I was really impressed, and the reason why I'm so impressed, this early him, even though he's not launching people across the ring, Reminds me of an early DC, an early uh, Daniel Cormier, and how impressive he was coming into MMA. Um, relatively unknown with really good wrestling, but he had the right striking and the right things that he mixed up to get in to get guys to the ground. And it wasn't the same thing each time. You didn't know if he was going to come in with straight punches, if he was going to, you know, throw an overhand. If he was going to faint and take you down, you really didn't know. And that's what I saw. And it was really impressive. So one of the things I thought about that punch is what it reminded me of. It reminds me a lot of the punch where Khabib dropped Connor. Because they're both punches that aren't representative of superior striking, which, mm -hmm. which he is, he does have, he is working on a striking and that is a facet that he's adding, but I'm saying the threat of knowing the level of wrestling you're facing sets up these big, you know, kind of, you know, leaping hooks or overhand rights and that kind of thing. Um, so I kind of like that. The fact that he's using his wrestling superiority to set up other things is a good shot because it shows that he's adapting well. It shows that he has, he's getting good coaching, which obviously we know he is. He's at, you know, America top team. Right. Um, but I'm just saying it, it, it doesn't always translate. Not everybody picks it up. He seems to be picking it up. He's probably going to end up one of these real high fight IQ guys. And to, to your point where it almost turned into like a, it looked almost like a power double that he just mm -hmm. started with like a, a a big shot like like you said the guy was going down from the punch but it's one of those moves to me where you see boxers or even in MMA it happens where they throw this combo and they throw it so fast and with such authority that even as they drop the guy with one of the punches they still finish up the combo cuz they were just going as the other guys hitting the ground do you you know what i'm saying yeah, absolutely. And, and I agree with you. I think that's kind of what that takedown was. I think he decided, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit him with this big shot and then come in low on the other side and get the leg. And whether that's why I said he kind of literally ran through him. Because even if the guy hadn't been falling, he was going down. So he dropped him with the punch. Even if he hadn't dropped him with the punch, he would have took him down with the wrestling. Yeah, no, I agree. And the thing about the punch, so I agree with you. It wasn't, we didn't see enough in that to say, hey, he's a spectacular striker. But it's more the choice of the combination of things that he put together. And it wasn't just your typical 
every wrestler comes in with this left really big overhand, right? Like the 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 Dan Henderson H bomb, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't that kind of punch. Like it was a little bit more hookish than than overhand, but he wasn't simply relying on that. He already had whether this landed or not. I'm using this to take you to the ground and take you into my world. So it's like just that whole planning slash combination and his timing and everything was just really good on it. And, you know, in my opinion, when I watch fighters, it's a lot of the fine details that I watch in particular with new fighters that I'm usually looking at to say, oh, this guy is probably going to be or or one is probably going to be really good because of those fine details, because you have people that go out there and look spectacular, does, does everything wrong. I look at those people and say, eh, it's, it's, they're on that edge. And they usually are. Whereas you have a guy like, if you remember, I was one of the people really early on that was high on John Jones when he was, you know, in that whole boat of, you know, guys that they brought in, young guys at 205. And something about what he did was different than all the rest of them. And I was like, he's something special. I feel like, and I know it's only three fights in, and he's going in a really dangerous division, 185, right? Um, But I feel like he's something special. um, And what he's displayed in these fights shows that he's something special. Now, that said, after the fight, he called out Kamzat. What's your opinion on that one? So that that's ballsy, and and that is a a, a dive on the deep end. <laughs> yeah, but he's got three thousand percent more MMA experience than Brock Lesnar did when he started taking on elite level UFC fighters, yes. and uh, Brock Lesnar held a pretty good for himself, right? Uh, yes. So I think. I think that's a little bit much um, because Kamzat would want to. The, the reason I think it could possibly work is Kamzat might might try and prove that he's a better grappler and then get himself in a bad position. I mean, cause that would be hilarious. That could happen. If Kamzat was smart, he would took it, keep it as a kickboxing match and he should probably, you know what I mean? Be able to, if nothing else, pick them apart on that one. But I appreciate the confidence. And now I am going to just say I'm biased as I'm putting on my fanboy hat. But I mean, Bo Nickel is one of those, you know, he's not the kind of prospect that comes around all the time. You know, there's not a whole lot of Bo Nichols. This is an elite level prospect. And, you know, I made the Brock Lesnar comparison earlier. This is a lot like what we've always talked about. If Brock Lesnar did go to MMA straight out of wrestling, as opposed to doing the WWE and stuff like that first. So this could be an example of what that kind of elite level wrestler. And I think he's up there due to his pedigree and his age. And then now the camp that he's rolling with an MMA. I mean, I kind of think he's like one of those once in a generation kind of talents possibly. Yeah, I agree. And to your point on the Brock Lesnar point, you've had other guys, one that made it to the UFC with very few fights and did really well. Um, Kane came into the UFC two and zero. 
And I think okay. he was, I think in, um, I want to say either maybe his fifth or sixth fight, he was fighting for a title. Um, Surreal gone came into the UFC three and oh. And if you remember his trainer, which I forget his name, um, who was, um, you know, originally Ngannou's trainer, uh, he said the UFC asked him, like, how how much do you want us to push this guy? He said, push him as hard as possible. He's ready. And we see what he's been able to do outside of Ngannou. He's looked absolutely spectacular. And we don't know what a Ngannou, you know, part two would be. Um, but he's looked really, really good. So I think those are two examples that, um, you know, you can come in and, you know, pretty much start fighting some elite guys right away. I think both of them maybe had maybe one or two fights outside of the top 15 and got through into the top 15. And then before you know it, top 10 and then fighting for titles, right? And I don't think either one of them, it took over maybe six fights to get to a title. I think Bo Nickel is that type of talent. And for the division, he's in 185. You you got guys that hit hard. You got guys that are long. You got wrestling. You got everything in that division. Um, I don't think you slow roll him. I think you give him maybe one starter fight. And then his next fight, I think, should be a top 15 opponent. Because I definitely think he's a guy with where he's at. He's a guy that you can push. And within five fights in a UFC, five, six fights, he should be up there. If he wins those fights, he should be up there challenging for a title. No different than, I don't know. I, don't, I didn't look up um, Kamzat as far as how many uh, fights he's had in the UFC or how many fights he had before coming over to the UFC. But, you know, they've been talking about him fighting for a title since point one in the UFC. I want to say he's on about five fights in the UFC. So right around that time, and we know he's a guy that they're pushing, right? I think you push Bo Nickel in that same kind of way. You progress him like you did a Kamzat. And the great thing about Bo Nickel is if you strategically do things right, you have your next superstar. And I think he has a chance if he's, as good as he thinks he is and it he can keep progressing and keep his head right i think you could have a bit one of the biggest stars mma has ever seen i mean a, a true you know grown home good old boy american a literal all-american exactly and that you know I think he's the imagery that a lot of these college guys, wrestlers, everything like that is like, yeah, that's the guy. And all the pieces that you would look for, you know, this guy has that. And I think pushing him, it can be big, big money if he's good. And you strategically get him the right fights and push him up there. So uh, who do you think you'd like to see him out there with for his first fight? Well, the first fight probably wouldn't be anybody that's on my radar. Cause like I said, I think you give him exactly one kind of new to the UFC fight. A guy that's not in the top 15 after that top 15 fighter, um, somebody really tough, but that isn't quite as dangerous. You know, you maybe give him a Brad Tavares. Tavares is very, very dangerous still, but you know, eh. or you give him a, um, 
you give him a Kevin Gaslam. I know Gaslam's on like a, I forget, like a four fight skit or something like that, but he's fucking dangerous still. He's coming to fight. His wrestling is great, but he's going to keep it standing. See what he can do against a guy like that. You know, if if he can get past both of those, that's three wins. All of a sudden, he's 6-0. and Now you can move him depending on what shakes out in that upper division from there. He's only two wins away from a title shot at that point, in my opinion. Gotcha. Uh, and the guy that I that I liked him fighting has a fight coming up in December anyway. So I liked Who's him versus that? Joaquin Buckley. Well, that's a dangerous fight. I I don't I don't dislike that fight, but I don't know if I would put him in there for his first fight. Um, I don't know if that would be a first fight. Maybe a second fight instead of Tavares. Maybe I can see a Buckley for a second fight, but I think. That's pretty dangerous for a first fight. Um, but, hey, you know, I, I'm i not against it. You know, I'm not against it. I just think it's Buckley's really, really explosive, and he has a lot of dynamite in his hands. Uh, so, you know, you got to be real careful. But we also know he doesn't like being on the ground on his back. So, you know, Bo has an avenue there. Well, that's what I was looking at, trying to give him a striker matchup. I figure he's a guy that's lost some fight. He's a guy that's not in the top 15. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, now, Buckley does have a fight coming up with Chris Curtis, which if he wins, will get him into the uh, um, top 15. So that's who I, th- I think Bo Nichols should get the loser of Chris Curtis uh, versus Joaquin Buckley. I like that. I'll go with that. I'll go with that one. That's not. Yeah, I'll go with that one. That works. Or Kamzat. <laughs> Listen, I don't think the UFC would ever let that happen because one guy you just derailed and you can push both of these guys and make a fight later even bigger. Imagine if Kamzat comes out and wins two more, especially if one of them is a title. And he's this destroyer wrestler, yada, yada, yada. And then you build up Bo Nickel. And then all of a sudden you have true American wrestling versus true Russian wrestling. It's like and Rocky IV, yeah, the, the new would, version. It would be crazy. It would be crazy. Uh, Darren <laughs> Till already asked for the Bo Nickel fight on Twitter. Or said oh, he, he did? would do it or whatever, yeah. Hmm. That's, Till is nine. This is the funny thing. if. Bo Nickel fights maybe a Buckley or something and then a Tavares. I can see Teal being that third fight. And I think Teal is a very winnable fight. But the problem is if you give him Teal too early, you have to push him even faster because Teal is number nine in the UFC right now. You have to push him even faster into that top 10. And that's a pretty steep learning curve, right? So... I don't know if I would give him that fight at at number one or two, you know? Yeah, I I didn't say, I mean, I think it's a winnable fight for him. Yeah. But I agree with you. I don't think it's a fight that Bo Nickel can't win. And I think it's a huge, Mm -hmm. you know, notch on his belt. But yeah, Mm -hmm. I think that's the problem is now you legitimately have to go comms on. And now you're in your fifth fight and you're, well, I mean, whatever. Oh, comms out does have 12, but... Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah, but um, you know. Hey, Bo Nichols said 
No, no, none of the small dudes. He called out everybody from uh, middleweight up. So not only did he call out Kamza, he called out any light heavyweight, any heavyweight, any of the big guys. Yeah, I love the confidence, man. You know, a lot of these new guys, there's no short of confidence. Um, and I love to see it. I'm one of those people. You have people that's very biased against confident guys, and they don't like it or they feel like it's too showboaty or whatever. I love when confident guys come in and they speak what they want and they go out there and put in work. I don't want you to be confident and, you know, or talk shit and then go out there and you're really a coward and you're going to ball up, you know, when, you know, you're going to ball up and run away when you get hit like Brock Lesnar did. Brock, don't, <laughs> don't come after me. I want no smoke with you. <laughs> I guarantee you one of your fists is bigger than both of mine, but I have to call it how I see it. Please you, don't make me turn and run from a fight. <laughs> Because I will. Exactly. I don't have that much pride. I will right. do it. Yeah. See, I, right. But I'm not calling out the, you know, I'm not calling out people. I'm letting you know, listen, I'm not the guy for that. <laughs> but that said, yeah, I think, um, I think Bo has a really bright future and it's really just going to be how the UFC decides to push him. But I don't think he's a guy you slow roll. I think he, if he progresses the way that he should, he should be ready for a title shot five or six fights into the UFC. Um, a couple quick things, though. Mm -hmm. I did see some very technical jujitsu, which I wasn't expecting. And uh, that was, a, a, a you know, not a surprise, but it was nice to see. It did, as explosive as he was, he did appear to be a little bit uh, rushing, though. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, I think that's an approach that kind of happens a little more in wrestling. You know, you got like your three, two minute rounds and, you know, it's a faster pace. Like he seemed to be going very quick. So the, the, something I liked and something I didn't. He showed some real good technical jujitsu, which sometimes you're just a prodigy, right? Like he's a grappling prodigy. He seems to be picking that up quick. It's very scary for anybody that could end up on the ground with him. But, you know, you're going to the next level. These are the best in the world. And I think you keep you, you go too fast. You make a little mistake. These guys can capitalize. And uh, that could cost you a fight. And, it, you know, it's a learning experience. But uh seem like maybe you need to figure out the explosiveness on the takedown. But maybe after that, at some point, you need to kind of settle in and, uh, you know, gr grab a position. No, good point. And of course, he actually ended the fight. I know we kind of talked about what was the initial sequence that led to him ending the fight, but the fight was actually ended by a triangle. And um, it was, he had, um, he had Don Don in a position where he probably could have either won by triangle or he was getting that arm. It, you know, he could have flipped it over into an arm bar. So yeah, good, really good point. And one last thing I want to throw out there before we wrap it up too, and we kind of talked about this uh, an episode or two ago. Um, I saw two of those fights was no glove touch and the Bo Nickel fight was one of them. And I love that. And I think everybody should do it. Stop touching gloves. You know, it's, it, it don't make sense. Hug at the end of the fight, show sportsmanship there. Touch gloves before the fight when the, the you know the ref has you in the middle. 
other than that, stopwater glove touch thing. And one of the one of them that was a glove touch in here was so awkward. Either one of those guys could have easily got KO'd. It was like a two-hand glove touch weird thing. Um, and easily one of those guys could have just not touched or after the touch, because both of them were so open, just roll that right into an elbow and KO the other guy. Stop all the glove touching. Yeah. And you see Bo Nichols, he, he didn't, he wasn't classless about it. He's just like, ah, oh, let's get to this fight. And then bam, you know? Yep. Exactly. Exactly. I agree. 100%. So it's the any, future any, of the sport. Absolutely. Any last words before we wrap this up? No, I think we got it, man. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. It's been another great episode of the Fat Boy MMA podcast. Thanks for listening. Come again. That wraps up another Fat Boy MMA podcast. If you have a topic for us, please email us at fatboymma55 at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media by going to links.fatboymma.com. That's links.fatboymma.com. Thank you for listening.